English. So there needs to be, a, it would be so nice if I could experience the gift of tongues so that he wouldn't have, somebody of the other ones would have to translate. And then when I speak English, then one of the, the others can talk, the other two can talk Spanish and English together. So it can take more time, more effort. But here, imagine, hearing, being in a foreign land or being at Jerusalem, being a Jew, but speaking another language and hearing your language spoken by one person. Everybody could understand what was being said. Quite amazing. But then at verse 13 it says, And some mocked and said they were full of new wine. There were skeptics there and they didn't believe what they were seeing. And then we have Peter's message. And I'm just going to read part of that message. Let's go to verse 18. There it says, And on my sermons, this is what Peter is saying, and he's quoting from Joel, the prophet Joel, and he says, And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. He's explaining to the skeptics that this is what's going on here. This, was a, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he says that in verse 19, I will show wonders in heavens above. And then in verse 21 it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he just asks the men of Israel to hear these words. And he talks about Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 23 it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken. Now he's talking to the Jews here. He says, you have taken, or your people have taken this person, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And then he talks about Jesus raising from the dead. Verse 32 it says, this man, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Now go to verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, Jesus, still talking of Jesus, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath set forth this which ye now see and hear. And then verse 36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That was a message that Peter was preaching. And the, this message was very powerful and very effective. And so we see the response then to Peter's message in verse 37. It says they were pricked. Now, we just would just naturally know, I think, what that means. Somehow that heart was... Uh, a prick is more than just a touch. It, a prick gets somebody's attention. It, it hurts a bit if you get pricked. And it says uh, in verse 37 that they were pricked in their heart. And I believe that means that they were unhappy even alarmed because they realized that they were 
sinners. The message had the power of the Holy Ghost behind it and was convicting them. And they were feeling that conviction. So, friends, before you can be saved, young people, before you can be saved, you need to know that you're lost. And these people were convicted of the fact that they were lost. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in Luke 5.23, I am not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Sinners are the ones that are being addressed here. They were Jewish people. They knew the Jewish law and covenants. It wasn't like they were preaching to Gentiles. And yet, they were convicted of what had happened. They had, in a sense, they had missed the promise of God. And then in verse 37, it says, what shall, they have the question, what shall we do? So my next point is, what did Peter advise the people to do? And this is a requirement to be a part of the church. It says in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice two things that are required to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of that assembly or that church, it says that they must, there must be an inner decision. There must be repentance. Repent. As I understand the word repent, it basically means you're going one direction and you are arrested or you hit a wall or something and it stops you and you understand you're going the wrong direction. So you turn. Repentance means you turn and you go toward, now you're going toward Christ. <clears throat> You've changed direction. And it also talks about an outward expression, and that's baptism when joining the congregation or when becoming a part of the body. So an inner decision, repentance, that's when we repent, we turn from sin. We also believe, it says, in, first, uh, in Philippians 16, 31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There is a turning to Christ. And that is done by faith. Believing is done by faith. And we also confess. We tell others about faith in Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We need to believe, have faith, and we need to confess. And the Lord willing, the class, the instruction class, we will have baptism sometime this year yet, I believe. So an outward expression is baptism, to be baptized, it says. The Lord, uh, what, does that, what, did, what does that mean? Uh, I'd like to say a few things about baptism. The first one is that baptism is commanded in Scripture. It says in Matthew 
28:19, "Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost." The, the, the other thing about baptism is that you don't baptize until there's repentance. And sometimes this may be somewhat hard to discern. And we trust when young people express themselves that they're being truthful. And one of the things we really like to do during this time of instruction is to make sure there's an understanding of salvation. There needs to be age involved. We don't baptize first or as infants. That's one reason that we teach against that is because there needs to be an understanding. We sometimes call it an age, they come to an age of accountability. They understand what it means to become, to repent. Repent and be baptized. There are both water and spirit baptism. In uh, Matthew 3.11, it says, I indeed baptize, John the Baptist speaking, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So in verse 38, Peter is saying here, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We believe, I believe, uh, as Anabaptists, we believe this happens. The receiving of the Spirit of Christ comes when we make this confession. It's not at some later time or does not need to be accompanied by the gift of tongues, as some teach. I don't think so. I don't want to be arrogant in saying our belief is the more correct, but I... Uh, I have a neighbor that was pretty dogmatic about this uh, over the years. And uh, actually he had been, I had worked with him, and he was a pretty ungodly man and uh, became converted, but went to a church where they said, you need to talk in tongues. And so he told me, he stopped to talk to me one day, and he said, you know, if you're not talking in tongues, you haven't been converted. And I felt that I had the Holy Spirit dwelling in me as well as that he did. So I asked him, well, uh, he said, well, that's the sign that God gives. I said, did you also have a tongue of fire or a cloven tongue of fire on your head? I said, that's another sign that was there at Pentecost. Well, he said, no, he didn't. So there... uh, The the fourth point here uh, is that baptism is a sign of entrance into the church. And we see this in verse 41 where it says, And then, then they which gladly received his word were baptized, and the same that were, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. Now that's phenomenal growth going from 120 to 3,120, 3, or approximately that. So look at the, the power of the Holy Ghost working in these listeners. Uh, 
you talk about a challenge here for those early believers, the challenge of rapid growth. And sometimes growth can almost outstrip the ability to keep up with the needs of the church. I've seen that happen. And so it says in verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily, and after Peter healed the lame man, many believed in verse 47, or 4, that's in 447, it says that there, were, there was healing going on. And he healed a lame man. It says many believed. Now remember that the stirrings or the, the talk of all Jerusalem after the resurrection was about these matters. So people's ears were open and tuned toward what is going on here now since uh, this is happening and then in, in chapter 5, we see in verse 11, after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. You'd think that uh, it says great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard about these events. But this did not slow down the growth of the church. But it did bring a certain understanding that we don't fool around with the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were the people were reminded that you cannot lie to the Holy Spirit and get by with it. I don't have never witnessed that where somebody died, struck down dead. Sometimes in my human flesh, I would wish that could happen, but that's not God. And that's not a good attitude for a church leader to have either. I don't know that I've ever really felt that way, but sometimes I wish that God would reveal himself in, in ways, and he does as well. Acts 5.14, it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's in the NIV, and that's after Ananias and Sapphira. So, as we look at these scriptures, it's clear that when someone repented and believed in Jesus and was baptized, they were added to the church. They were added to the number daily. And so, clearly, you were added or you were not. You were either in or you were not in. So, uh, and then the fifth point I have here on baptism is baptism stands for spiritual cleansing. In Acts 22, verse 6, we have Paul's testimony of how he was saved. And he was on the road to Damascus. And he had letters in his hand. To, uh, to persecute the church, to take them captive and bring them to Jerusalem, to their death, some of them, no doubt. And so he was struck down on the road to Damascus by the light of Jesus Christ shining on him. And later, he was told to go, they led him into Damascus, and Ananias, it says, when he spoke, when he is speaking to Paul, he says, arise and be baptized. Paul was by himself for a number of days. Then Ananias was told by the Holy Spirit to come. And he told him, Paul, you are to arise and be baptized. And you are, this, will, this baptism, I don't think, washes away sins. But it says, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. So, Jesus gave us an example. Since he was baptized, his followers should be baptized. 
Furthermore, he commanded his disciples to baptize all who believe in him. Baptism stands for other spiritual truths as well. Uh, Believers are baptized by the Holy Spirit as well as by water. I, I mentioned that earlier. It also means that the persons uh, baptized publicly by water, it means those persons have repented. That should be the understanding, and have confessed their sins. They have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. It it goes together, Savior and Lord, we believe. It's not two-tiered as some teaching is today where when you become saved, then he becomes your Savior. And hopefully in some distant time, he'll become your Lord. That is not scriptural in my way of thinking. When you take on Christ and you give your life to him, he becomes not only your Savior, but he becomes your Lord. You are now subject to following Jesus. You no longer are sitting on the throne in your heart. Jesus has taken that place. You are subject to him. That's what it means when he is Lord. And you have, they've had their sins washed away. And it says in 1 Peter 3, 21, and this is a precious verse to me, they now have a good conscience toward God. Do you have a good conscience toward God this morning? That's a sign of having Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You now have that good conscience. I, I know that feeling. I was not one of those that was in maybe into gross sin, but I needed the Savior just as much as anyone else. And it, when I became born again, and I can't tell you a spot or necessarily in the back barnyard or whatever, I don't, it was more of a turning to for me and under, gaining an understanding of what it meant to be a child of God that I came to have faith, and I believed, and it did. It gave me a clear conscience. So what we've looked at here, we should not baptize babies. Only persons who have accepted Jesus in repentance and faith. Baptism also stands for entrance into the church of Jesus Christ. Mode is how we baptize. Here at Sanya Ridge, we pour water on the head. Um, I think uh, our church feels that pouring water on the head of the person is an acceptable scriptural method. It, It may not be the only one, but it's an acceptable one. So far, that's how we've done things. And I've probably asked this question here before. Should we ever baptize and not require membership? Well, I don't think generally we should. But there may be those cases where uh, we have a case in Elkhart now where the girl was sent to, a, to, to, uh, to the program. And I can't think of the name now. But she was wanting to be baptized and wasn't. She wasn't. Uh, she was, I think, born again. So do we baptize or don't we? Those are the kinds of questions 
And I think uh, in times past, I'm not sure if Collier's ever mentioned it to the church, but he told me when he applied for CO status when he was in service, when he was converted, they sent him to Turkey immediately, and he asked to be baptized. And the brothers, I think it was from Berea, baptized him. And he says, probably if I would not have been baptized, I would not have remained faithful. So what can I say? I would have said earlier, no, very seldom should we. And I still feel that way, that it is a part of becoming, when you are baptized, that it is an outward thing that we do that says that you are now a part of the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. I believe it's a good way of doing it. Number three, what blessing did the early church provide for her members? And here's a a scripture that I've often looked at, and that's in verse 42. It says, this new body of believers that had become baptized, they said they now continued, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, these four things, I think, are sufficient. We don't have to complicate this a a bunch. Uh, The teaching of, or in doctrine... They, cons- they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is the truth of the gospel that the apostles were teaching and con- were continuing to teach and even write about at this time. What a blessing it is for us to experience teaching and preaching. It is how the congregation or how people are informed in how we get faith. If there's no preacher, how can you hear the word preached? That goes, Roman goes into detail about that. So that's a blessing. Doctrine. And then the second one is fellowship. Fellowship is koinonia. It's enjoying the presence of each other. And we call the room back there a fellowship hall. And often when we're fellowshipping back there, what else is involved? It's food. So that's a part of it. Uh, That's the next one, actually, breaking bread. So... Uh, I have met people from, that I never met before. Uh, I think particularly of a man in, in, out in Iowa. I was out to look at a piece of equipment at an auction. And I met this man from Iowa, and he was distinctive in the fact that I could see that he wasn't, he was a Holdeman Mennonite, it ended up being. And we had things in common. We just were able to visit, and we talked about the Lord and serving the Lord, and I had fellowship with him. That was a blessing. We can go anywhere in the world. We can meet with a black, we can meet with black people, we can meet with Hispanic people, and whatever other nationality or color that can bring us together in oneness in Jesus Christ. That's called fellowship. We have fellowship with the brothers. There is a oneness in Christ. And this was the big thing back in that early church. How could Jews... Now, the Jews were not yet given the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 here. But later they were. I think it's chapter 10 where Peter, Cornelius came and said... The Holy Spirit told him, you call for a... For Peter, and Peter came and he, he perceived that the Holy Spirit, it was not just a Jewish religion, it was also 
for everyone. And that promise was throughout the Old Testament, if you research that. There is a oneness. Uh, 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that, that we can have fellowship one with another. If we know the same Jesus, why should we be at enmity with each other? There should be an openness and a, a friendship and a caring there. In fact, uh, the, the word agape, it was a peculiar or particular descriptive word of what Jesus showed us. It was a, a word of the early church, agape. It described what was going on, and that was what was so attractive because the brothers had love for one another. The church did. If that's missing, what do we then conclude? And that's a poor testimony to our church, to our children. Third one mentioned here is the breaking of bread. And this, I think, could be communion. When we serve the, the bread, the emblem of bread at communion for the body, the broken body of Christ. But it's also eating together. And uh, we sometimes do this. We go to, uh, I go to your house, my wife and I do, uh, Sunday lunch maybe. No plans today. We're open, I guess. But... We go to each other's house. You come to our house at times, and we have fellowship that way. And we have breaking of bread together. We all love being together, and a, a big part of that, I think, is, is eating, is food. Now, there's times we're together to pray, and there's times we're together to fast and pray. That is also a part of being the body of Christ. And then it says in prayer, that's the fourth one here, in prayers. As I understand this saying, it's in worship, and maybe we could say uh, there are two kinds of worship mentioned. That's private worship and public worship. To, together, We're here together this morning for worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with the local body. We sang this morning. We're listening to a message. We're also going to have a time of study in our Sunday school class. We're together. That's a part here. And then there's also private. We need a family time. You need a daily time personally, and you need a time of prayer and worship alone with God. And I would just want to emphasize that public worship is more than just a group of individual Christians sitting together. We, are, we become, there's a oneness in the body of Christ. It is lifting our hearts and, and voices to God as one. Worship means communing with God. The Holy Spirit speaks through His Word. We answer in prayer by the Holy Spirit. 
there are feelings of deep respect, deep love, and awe for God if we experience worship. There are feelings of love for each other. Number point number four, how did the early Christians treat each other? In verse 44, it says, all and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Do we do that well today? Now, the Hutterites tried to, from way back, tried to very literally do this. And uh, some have criticized and some have said, well, they have some things to offer. I believe in our hearts that having all things common, common means community. That's where we get the word community. We are a community. When one brother, when Alan Bontrager is suffering, we care about that to the point where we're willing to lay our goods, so to speak, on the altar. Because we care. That's, that's, community, that's having things in common. Some of these, uh, it says, had all things common. In verse 46, with one accord, and I, I looked at this uh, in Matthew Henry, I think, in one accord is a very uh, intense meaning here when it talks about one accord. It's not just lightly saying this word, but there was a togetherness and a strength in that togetherness that is phenomenal, we could say. It's used five times in the first five chapters of Acts. One accord. That means a oneness in the body. Not a bunch of factions, not a bunch of individuals doing their own thing or deciding for themselves, but there's a oneness there. We decide together how we do things in church. When a person joins the church, he becomes a part of the body of Christ. That's what happens when, typically, for young people, when you're baptized, you are welcomed into the fellowship of the church. Become a part of that body. And the members of the body love and protect each other. Who ever heard of one's hand beating one's face? We would think that person is nuts. Something's not quite right up here. But sometimes we see that happening when the parts of the body are, are not getting along and they're not helping each other. When the feet stumble and the body falls, the hand reaches out. You know, uh, the, the older I get, my wife and I, the more we have to watch that we lift our feet high enough so we don't stumble. And if I happen to stumble, you know, my other body parts are going to respond accordingly. My hand is going to maybe take the brunt of that fall, hopefully, uh, rather than my face or whatever that's unprotected. That's how the body is. 
different parts of the body that we see here this morning. That's what we do. We, we take care of each other. We, we, our hands, the hands of the church reach out to protect when somebody is in a vulnerable place. I said earlier that the Christians, the early Christians were known for their love for each other. <clears throat> they enjoyed being together. They shared their possessions. <clears throat> the, the last point I have here is what did the unsaved think about the early church or the early Christians? In verse 47, it says, having favor with all the people. Now, this was a time, a special time of the beginning of the church where God's blessing shined there, I think, in an unusual way to just show that this was authentic. This was the real church. And they were even finding favor with the common people surrounding them that were not Christians. The early church was respected. Many people were attracted to this new way of life. People joined the church daily. The new Christians not only lived a holy life before the people, but also spoke about Jesus at every opportunity. They were concerned about the souls of others. Now listen, friends, the early church was respected, and at the same time it was persecuted. Not everyone was excited to see what was going on here. And sadly, a lot of that came from the religious group. Jesus said, don't be, this is, don't be alarmed by that. This, this is how I was treated. That's how you're going to be treated as well. Not everybody's going to be enthused about the fact that you're following Jesus. You're going to get some opposition here. Often, holy lives of Christians make unbelievers feel uncomfortable. They just really can't quite hack it. In Acts 6.10, we see that Stephen's, Stephen's enemies could not stand up, it says, against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. That was, must have been a phenomenal defense that Stephen was giving in front of those men. And someone said that when evil persons have nothing more to say, they pick up stones. Friends, if you're born again, you need the church. I need the church. We weren't designed to walk this journey by ourselves as individuals. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is a safe place to be. It's the place that God wants us to be. I need the church. You need the church. And on the other hand, we could say, the church needs you. The church needs me. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20 says, But now are there many members, yet but one body. 
And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The church needs us all. So we, in Romans 12, 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one member of one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. I thank God for the church and for what it's meant to me. In former days, I think of the leaders of the church at Sandy Ridge. When I was first involved here, I was a charter member here, and I think of those faithful leaders that even started the church, what they stood for, their faithfulness. I'm grateful for the leaders that we had here over the past. They've affected me in good ways. And I'm grateful for the leaders here now. May the Lord bless us as a church, as a congregation. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for this, just this detailed description of what was going on there at Pentecost and how the church received this Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, and how they were, it was evidenced and it was no doubt what was going on. And sometimes we wish we would have that same kind of thing happening in the church today, and I believe it still can to some degree, but there was a, a time there where I think there was a special pouring out when that church was initially started. And help us to carry on that vision as a part of your church. When the church has issues and we we care, we, we see things not going the way it should. Help us to engage. Put our shoulder to the wheel and be the kind of person that you have called us to be. There are times when there are, it indicates this in 1 Corinthians, I believe, verse chapter 11. It says that there must needs be heresies among you. And that's talking to the church. He says, because of, that those might be known that approved of you. And that's often how we pick our leaders when there are messy times among us. And things aren't going so well. Those that are truly servants, your servants, we see how they respond and how they react. And that helps us to discern who the leaders of the church should be. We're grateful for a brotherhood that we have here. We pray for each one as a part of this body that we would use our giftings, use the part of the body that we were designed to be. Uh, it says also that every God has set every member in his body. So each one here is set there by God. And I have no right to think that I just wish he weren't here or her. But we are all set here as from you. And you've designed us to work together. So help us in that. Bless our Father service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Brother John, <clears throat> for preaching.